Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It is Helen from the Squiggly Careers podcast. I hope you're well. If this is the first time you are here, then you should know that this is a weekly podcast show with over 300 episodes where we talk about the ins, outs, ups and downs of careers and give you some ideas for action, some tools to try out so you've got a bit more confidence and control over your career development, which we all need at times in our squiggly careers. Normally, it is me and Sarah talking about lots of different topics. So already this year, we've talked about social influence. We've talked about stress tolerance. And today I'm not talking to Sarah. Today I'm going to be talking to author and journalist Kate Murphy. It's one of our Ask the Expert episodes and we are talking about the topic of listening. Kate has written a brilliant book called You're Not Listening and that's really what we dive into today on the podcast. So you're here is exploring how the way that we're working isn't always great for our ability to listen at work. We'll talk a little bit about some bad habits that get in the way of our listening. And we'll talk about what you can do differently so you can really hear what people are trying to say to you at work. So I hope that by listening to this, you learn a lot about listening. That sounds very weird to say. But more importantly, there's some things that you can do after today. We'd love to get your feedback on what you've taken away from the conversation and any thoughts about other topics you would like us to cover or people you would like Sarah and me to talk to. You can email us at Helen and Sarah at squigglycareers.com. And don't forget, and you might not know this if this is your first time here, but our episodes all come with pod sheets. So they are downloadable summaries, which you know really feature some of the key key ideas for action and some coach yourself questions for you to consider as well you can get that in two ways either go to our website amazingif.com on the podcast page you can find them all or sign up for Podmail, which is in the show notes for this episode and also on that podcast page on our website and you'll get an email every tuesday which has all the resources in all in one place so decide what you want to do if you want another email we've got a good one for you every tuesday if you'd rather find it for yourself it's all on our website for you but let's go on to the conversation Welcome, Kate, to the Squiggly Craze podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So you probably hear it a lot, but I think it's quite disconcerting. I've been sort of thinking about this before we spoke about having a conversation with somebody who's an expert in listening. It just feels a little bit daunting that I might do it wrong when we're talking about this together. But I'm sure loads of people must say when they speak to you. 
Yes, that has been a drawback of writing the book. <laughs> People do get a little bit self-conscious, but, you know, they slide right back into it. And the thing that I love, though, is when they say, now, what was the name of your book again? <laughs> You're not listening, everyone. That is exactly. the name of the book. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, just to kick us off, I wanted to sort of start with this topic and idea of attention and also to just think about the way that we're working now so by that I guess I mean increasingly hybrid highly reactive maybe that's just my life but lots of information sometimes it feels like too much stuff to do and how that way that we're working might be affecting our attention and also our ability to listen to people well, it's not helpful. I mean, you've hit something that's really happened since COVID because people are working in different circumstances and oftentimes more distracting circumstances when they're at home, they're juggling family, not that they weren't juggling their family before, but you know, when they're right in front of you, it makes it a little bit harder. So there's just a lot of competing demands. And as I talk about in the book, when we talk about pay attention, it is actually something that you pay and it's in limited quantities. And so you only have so much of it. And multitasking is a myth. So it does make it more difficult to focus. But that was one of the reasons why I wrote the book, which, you know, by the way, you know, when people say they may feel intimidated talking to I'm not an expert listener either. We all struggle with this. It's not a finger wagging book. It's just to identify the things that may get in our way and help us do it better. And one of them is to really be mindful of what's competing for my attention right now. And if I really want to have a focused conversation with someone, I need to put those distractions away. And even if the distractions are within my own mind. And when I was reading, I think one of the, I guess, the realizations that I came to is how much energy listening should take. You know, if you're really listening to somebody and you're giving them all of that attention and you're making sure that you're not being distracted by stuff going on around you that energy you know is using quite a lot of it and so with that in mind do you think like we should turn up our listening attention for every single conversation that we have like high quality listening should be in every moment of the day when people are talking or do you think we dial it up more for moments that matter or conversations that are particularly important that is such a good point and one of the reasons why i wrote the book is that listening is a skill it takes effort and a lot of people think of listening, well, okay, my lips aren't moving, and so I'm listening. And it's not, it's a focused attention, and you have to choose. Mm. Your attention is a gift, and you have to choose who deserves your attention and who is important to listen to. You know, unfortunately, you can't listen to everybody, particularly in that focused way. I'm kind of one of those people who feel like I... And maybe it's because of the work I do. Yeah, you know, I have to listen and I have to listen well. And if I get something wrong, everybody knows about it. <laughs> and so I feel like if I'm going to listen to somebody, I'm going to listen to them and really listen with focused attention, whether it's professionally or personally. And then if I can't give somebody that degree of attention, it's not something that I enter into. It's not because people know when you're not listening. Mm. They know when you're half listening. And as a result, it really, it diminishes the exchange, the relationship. So you just have to decide who you're going to give that gift to. And, you know, there are only so many hours of the day. I have a whole chapter in the book about when to stop listening. <laughs> so you have to make your choices. 
I find that one of the things that has helped me, and I think I have a long way to go to be what's described as a good listener, but one of the things that has helped me has been training as a coach because Mm -hmm. I think you have to get really intentional then about asking questions and then sort of sitting in silence while the other person that you're coaching kind of comes to their own insights and their own conclusions and you're not filling that space for them. And you talk also quite a lot about this importance of sitting in silence when you're going to be, you know, a good listener and you're developing this ability. Can you talk a little bit about why do people find it so hard to sit in silence and why is it so important that we learn to do it if we want to be better listeners? Well, you know, I mean, it's interesting. In Western cultures, we call it silence, dead air. How pleasant does that sound? (laughs) Not so much. It is something we are incredibly uncomfortable. It's almost like people fear that you've lost the connection if there's quiet. Almost like why they need to keep playing music when you're on hold so they don't think that (laughs) you've lost the person. So they, they feel like, okay, I'm still on here. But it's really a bad habit because as a result, people start because they so fear that silence or that lost connection that they jump in before the other person's even, they haven't even finished yet. Or, and which tells you one thing that here they've been, if they can jump in immediately, they've been thinking about what they're going to say before you stop talking. If they can jump in that quickly. And there's something magical about allowing that beat that where you think about what they said and you also are transmitting to the other person, I'm taking a moment. I haven't just been thinking about what I'm going to say and say it back, but I'm taking a moment to take in what you said. And this is all subconscious, but it is so powerful, that pause. And the other thing that's really important about it is a lot of times people aren't finished. And if you just give them a chance Really, the best information I found as a journalist, but also just personally, is it takes people a while to work up to what they want to say and maybe muster the courage or maybe just even understand themselves enough. Like, okay, this is what I meant. Mm. And if you give them that beat, you give them that silence, that moment of silence, it allows them to continue. I was actually just with somebody this morning in a meeting and they had seemed like they were finished. And I just waited a moment because I just felt like maybe there was more. And oh my gosh, that was the little piece that was the most important that he was holding back. And that's why I think silence is so incredibly important. And it's really just in Western cultures. You go in Eastern cultures, I write about this in the book, that is a real negotiating advantage. Because we'll just, you know, from Western cultures, yak, yak, yak through it and give away more than we wanted to. And if there's something about being able to be quiet and take it in, you don't always need to be on stage. You already know about you. You don't know about the other person. So when you're talking, you're not learning anything. It's really funny. I do think it is better for everybody when there is more silence in the conversation because as the person who's talking, when you kind of pause, you you get time to gather your thoughts. So probably what you're saying makes sense. And as the person, you know, who might be listening, you can, you just hear more, you collect more data. When you're ready to come back, your conclusions might be sharper. Like it's better for everybody, but it's definitely something that we struggle in. You know, nerves get in the way or just a lack of confidence maybe in a conversation, which makes people feel like they have to fill that space. 
I have a quote in the book from somebody I was talking to about this very issue. And she was talking about people talk to take up the space in a relationship that isn't secure or hasn't really been built up yet. And so they sort of talk through it instead of letting it develop and letting them receive from the other person. And it's really part of it's just how we've been raised. You've been raised to stay on message, that elevator pitch, present yourself, really perform, Mm. essentially. And it's really what's behind it is like me, like me, like Mm. me, like me, please like me. And we all want to be liked. And we want to show why we're likable. That's what keeps people talking, 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 when really what's going to make you likable is if you can connect with the other person and you can't connect with the other person if you don't know them and you don't try and find out what they're feeling and what they're thinking. In um, our second book, UKHU, we talk about these thinking traps and just listening to you there has made me think, probably one that I often have, that you know, good relationships are built on rapport, which makes sense to a point but then I think it gets in your way because if you think about rapport you know it's a quick connection it's a pacey conversation then you're not necessarily creating that space to ask and listen and learn because it's more about the sort of the that fast dynamic that creates a quick connection but quick connections aren't necessarily deep conversations or you know connections that might last longer because you've listened and learned from each other. It's interesting you say that about that rapport. I feel like what everybody's trying to do is mimic what they've seen on like, you know, drive time radio, that (laughs) quote unquote rapport between the two people and that banter back and forth. You know, here we're having a great conversation or just even on late night television where there's just this banter back and forth, you know, just like hitting the ball back and forth, you know, that kind of thing. That's not connecting. Mm. That's gaming. And that's not really what you want if you want to truly connect and not only just, you know, connect personally, but professionally to know what the other person wants. If you're trying to sell them something or if you're trying to develop ideas, what does the person know that I don't know? And there's something about creativity that needs to play off something else. And so being able to take things in and to pace yourself, it still can be a comfortable and wonderful rhythm, but it isn't that staccato, but, you know, I'm on, you're on, I'm on, you're on, you know, with you. It's really natural because that's all people see. That's sort of this image of their mind of this is a conversation. And it's really not. It's performance. And like each conversation has a different rhythm, but if you're having the same rhythm in every conversation, and particularly if it's that, you know, that sort of pacey, like drive time effect, then, you know, you've probably got a lot of room to develop your approach to the conversations that you're having. Really interesting. And and just thinking about that sort of rhythm of the conversation, it makes me think in the book, you talk about sort of, we have these expectations of what makes a good conversation. And there are four that are mentioned about the quality. So kind of expecting the truth, I think I, I got down the quantity. So when we're having a conversation together, that I'm gaining some new knowledge, but not too much that it feels overwhelming. I mentioned the relation so that the conversation we're having, it sort of feels relevant and it flows logically. And that in terms of the manner of the conversation, it's relatively 
brief, orderly and ambiguous. And when I read those things, quality, quantity, relation and manner, I was thinking, gosh, I've probably got quite a lot of work to do in terms of the conversations <laughs> that I'm having. I've never thought about those four dimensions like that. I want to give credit where credit is due, that those come from a British language philosopher and theorist. His name was Paul Grice. And his idea, and this has been proven in not only you know Western cultures, all cultures, that human beings without realizing it have certain expectations and conversation. And when you violate those expectations, and this is subconscious, that's when people stop listening. And so when you're talking about the maximum equality where you expect the truth, somebody lies to you, people shut down. Mm. You know, anything else you say after that, you have violated this social contract, this bargain. And so again, it's subconscious, but that's when people shut down. And then quantity is the next one, is you expect to get information that you don't already know, but not so much that you feel overwhelmed. That gets violated. You know, somebody starts you know, telling you stuff that they've already told you or that you know already. People start to shut down and thinking about what they're going to eat for dinner later. You know, that kind of thing. And then, you know, relation is, you know, it has to be logical and relevant. I mean, we've all had those conversations where you say something and then the other person comes back with something that's not related. <laughs> And then manner, again, you know, it has to be unambiguous. It, it can't be confusing. Or if they go on and on and on. I had lunch with somebody today. I hope they're not listening to this. They're not in the UK. But, you know, she would say, long story short. And I was like, well, it's too late for that. Short story long. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, when you were talking about, I loved what you were saying. I'm going to jump back just a minute for what you said about the rhythm and, you know, maybe looking at the rhythm if you have the same rhythm with everybody. The other thing that I would add to that that has to do with this quality and quantity and relationship, relation and manner is the script. Because that people fall back on these scripts, what they tell about themselves, what they tell about a project, what they had thought about before they went into the conversation. If you're developing scripts then you're really not listening. You're just going to use your script. And really wonderful conversations and conversations where you learn is where you're playing off what the other person mm. said. And so if you've got a script, then you're not going to play off that maximum relation where it's relevant, it's, there's a logical flow. And that's part of the great adventure, but also I think what stops people from listening is because you're without a net then. Mm. If you get rid of your scripts, you don't have your net anymore, and you, you have to play off what the other person said, and so the conversation could go anywhere. And that's the excitement and the wonder of it for me. I love it. Like, where are we going to go? <laughs> <laughs> but for other people, it might make them uncomfortable because you never know what's going to come out of people's mouths. I'm sure we've all had these conversations where people were, you know, at work or otherwise, you're like, oh, my God, I didn't see that coming. You know, where they just needed to tell you something and it came out of nowhere. And that can make some people uncomfortable. But for me, it's, you know, that's humanity. That's knowing the other person. I guess it's a sort of having a more explorative approach to a conversation you know what direction is this going to go in than an assumptive one which to be honest if you have an assumptive approach you probably just do it over email <laughs> just like here's some things yeah. i need to know just send me the details it probably doesn't need to be a conversation that you're you know so deliberately directing but you know on that sort of point about assumptions one of the things that stuck out for me in the book as well was about when we sort of 
assume things about other people so we assume what they're going to say or we have kind of this we sort of look for you talk about confirmation bias so we sort of look for things that assert what we think we know and so we're not really listening openly to everything they're saying we're trying to spot the stuff that we're assuming along the way is that something that happens a lot affecting the quality of conversations and the quality of people's listening very much so because if you've already decided what you want to hear you will hear what you want to hear it's not only just, you know, how you listen, but it's also the way you frame questions, the way you present yourself in the conversation. And just even non-verbally, you will elicit from the other person that confirmation, whether they are aware of it or you are aware of it or not. Most times not. Questions are really important for a number of reasons, because first of all, they keep you motivated and interested. Well, first of all, you have to listen to ask a relevant and on-point question. So you've listened to just do that, to be able to do that. But then after you've asked the question, you're invested in hearing the answer because you came up with it. So questions are a really good way to develop your listening skills, but also on the point of the assumptions, you have to be really careful in the questions that you ask because you don't want to ask a question like, wouldn't you agree? Mm -hmm. Or don't you think? Because that prompts the other person to confirm, again, that confirmation bias what you were thinking before. And that's real dangerous in a professional context because then you're really not going to get the truth. It could be from a customer too. They're going to try, because again, we all want to be liked, to confirm what you want confirmed. And so it's real important to have these open-ended questions and to have no suggestion of trying to get the person to agree with you or that you're judging somehow in your question, like, you know, well, you know, shouldn't we hire a consultant? Well, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you've just said what you want. You know, maybe that that is good or maybe it's not, but who's going to say no? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And you know, 
if someone's listening to this podcast now and they're and they're thinking, well, am I or am I not a good listener? Like maybe I thought I was a good listener, but now I'm not sure because of everything that Kate's saying. Because I think you could self-assess, but then there's a whole load of bias that you're introducing into that answer of whether or not you're a good <laughs> yeah. listener. Right. So do you think it's as simple as like asking your colleagues at work, like, do you think I'm a good listener? Or on a scale of one to 10, how effectively do you think I listen in our conversations? Is it that for people to understand the difference between maybe like their intent and their impact in the conversations that they're having? I would hesitate to ask anybody. Well, I I don't think people are totally honest when you say, you know, am I good at this or am I bad at this? Mm. I think it's not, there's so much other things that get in the way. So I'm not sure I would do that for anything. I think for listening in particular, I tell people if they want to just as a start, a springboard to being a better listener is to have in your mind before you go into any conversation, two things that by the time the end of the conversation, you'll be able to answer these two questions. And one is, what did I learn about the person I was speaking with? And number two is how did the person feel about what we were talking about? And if you get to the end of that conversation, you can't answer those two questions, probably need to work on your listening. So that's one self-assessment you can do right there. But there's also that feeling, you know, are you connecting? Are you understanding? And when you respond to someone, is there a light in in their eye? Are they saying yes? If you hear one of the ones I think I love to hear from people, which is just makes me feel like I've done my job as a journalist, is when people say, you know, I've never thought about it that way before, but this is how I feel. You know, when you ask that type of question, or I've never told anyone that Mm. before. And I didn't know I felt that way until I just said it. And when you're getting those types of responses that are thoughtful and you can kind of feel it behind your solar plexus when you've connected with someone. Now, this doesn't mean you necessarily end up liking them or they're going to be your best friend, but you understand. And so if you feel like you really understand where the other person was coming from, then I think that's your self-assessment. If you feel like you're still in the dark, maybe you didn't ask enough questions or you didn't ask the right questions or you weren't listening. I really like those questions that people can like take away and just, you know, reflect on the end of the day, like what are the conversations I've had and, you know, what did I learn about the person and how did they feel afterwards? And when you were talking there about, you know, being a journalist and people playing that back to you, it made me think about there are some podcasts that I like to listen to and sometimes I listen to the people that run those podcasts there's one called How to Fail which is a really popular podcast run by a journalist called Elizabeth Day and she is absolutely amazing at asking questions and then they're sitting in the silence I think I learn a lot about what good listening sounds like by listening to that podcast because hearing her ask that mm-hmm. powerful question a bit like you you were kind of saying that you know you feel like you've done it right when you do that and people play it back to you I, I hear her ask those questions and then just sit sit in that silence and I'm just thinking about people listening to this who maybe want some examples of what good looks like and obviously they might find that at work but to that point that we said earlier you know the way that work is sometimes there aren't loads of good examples at work about what this might look like unfortunately (laughs) that's pretty bad but it might not be great not a great ground for getting this insight but I think there are some amazing podcasts for example where you can really hear like the silence and the power of that question and how those pauses can unlock like that a lot more insight like you were saying earlier Mm -hmm. yes 
And also just even when you are seeing bad is actually helpful too. Mm-hmm. So like listen to those drive time <laughs> radio shows and see the difference to see, okay, that's bad. Or just, you know, looking like questions with the prime minister where they're all yelling over each other. You know, that's bad too. (laughs) I mean, that, you know, that's sort of what we hold up as our model is that, you know, somebody can hold their own and toss these witticisms out or cut the other person down. And that's not good listening. That's not a good conversation. And so to look at the bad as well as the good is a way to really see how to do it better yourself. I always find that really uncomfortable. Like like you say, Prime Minister's Question Time, and then there's a brilliant radio show in the UK called LBC, where they, it gets quite mm-hmm. political, it gets quite antsy. If I listen to that, sometimes it makes me feel a little bit stressed, but I, I guess that you know, listening to a conversation from outside of it can help you to observe some of the things that we're talking about together and just collect a little bit of data on what that experience might feel like and sort of take that into your own conversations and think, well, you know, I don't want my conversations to feel antsy and aggressive. So I need to make sure that I'm listening and creating that space where there's sort of a lot more learning going on, really. Another one to look at is, I I don't know in the UK, but in the United States, we have, you know, a lot of late night television programs where there are interviews. And I mean, there's just no listening going on at all. You know, everybody's got their script. Everybody's trying to perform. Or really, I think the other thing that I've noticed more just lately is that I feel like when I'm talking to somebody that they're filming a TikTok video and, and they're, you know, they're not really talking to me, but they're doing this performance. And you just... It's really an odd thing as you're, you're listening to them. And, and you might as well not even be there. So that's another thing to just look at what other people are doing and that makes you feel empty inside Mm. and figure out what that is so you don't do it yourself. Gosh, Kate, this is, it's hard. It's, you know, it's really hard talking to you about this and not at the same time thinking, oh no, are the conversations that I'm having an absolute disaster because I'm, I'm doing some of these things. And do you know, in the book as well, the other thing, like the confronting moment in the book was that there's a little bit that talks about sort of bad listening behaviors. But I wonder if you could mm-hmm. share some of those. When I was reading in the book, I was like, uh oh, there's another one that I kind of fall, <laughs> I fall victim to. So maybe for the benefit of our listeners, would you maybe share? some of those sort of bad listening behaviors that maybe we should be a little bit more aware of it's funny because when I did the interviews for the book I asked everyone about what does it mean to be a good listener and they would just look at me blankly (laughs) you know nobody could tell me and then when I'd say well what does it mean to be a bad listener what does that look like and I mean people would rattle them off just rattle them off and what does that tell you they have more experience of not being listened to, to being really genuinely, rewardingly heard. And so for the bad listening examples, the classics that everybody throws out, that everybody knows, but I mean, really (laughs) take it into account when you're talking to someone, it's the phone. You know, don't look at it, of course, during the conversation, but also I bring up research in the book about even the presence of the phone on the table. Mm. As it's always there in meetings at restaurants, it's always there. But if you tell people, even if you tell them it's off, I mean, and they did this with thousands of people on different gatherings and asked them and not only subjectively, but objectively looked at the conversations they had. When the phone was out and visible, it made people have less interesting, less self-disclosure, less 
everything you would want in a conversation Mm. (laughs) just because the phone is there. And there's something subconsciously that when people see it there, they don't feel like delving into anything meaningful. And so it's this weird, horrible spiral of the phone being there. So the other person says something that's not worth listening to, which makes you stop listening, which makes you want to have your phone. So we'll leave the phone aside. And believe me, I love my smartphone as much as anybody else, but it is an impediment. The other thing is, you know, look people in the eye. I mean, your mother always told you that. It is so true on so many different levels and mainly for things that you don't even know that you're picking up when you look at the other person. I talk in the book about how there are these subtle color changes that happen in people's faces. It doesn't matter your ethnicity, your skin tone. There are these slight gradations of changes of blood flow and we have all these little capillaries next to the surface of our skin on our face that you are noticing and that are emotional signatures. Again, it's not conscious, but you're picking up so much Mm. about how the person is feeling and logging that away somewhere in your brain. And if you're not looking at them, you miss that. Not to mention all the tiny little micro expressions. Of course, there's smiles and frowns and other little things that you can pick up, but there's so much under the hood that you're picking up of just, you know, little twitches that you cannot see, but nevertheless, again, you're logging it in your data bank and it's helping you understand and connect and sync with the other person. And so look at people, really look at them. I mean, you know, not like a creepy death stare, but you know, just, you know, look at people, openly look at people. Um, That's the other thing. Don't be looking around the room. And then the other thing, which everybody does, and it's, it's just human because our brains can process so much more information and so much faster than another person can talk. So you've got all this excess brain energy here, capacity, and this other person's not filling it up. And so what do you do? You start thinking about, okay, I've got to do this later. I'm going to pick up milk on the way home from work. And the fight that you had with a spouse earlier or whatever goes on in your head. And so a way to combat that is if you think about a conversation as something like meditation Mm. and the other person, instead of med- in meditation, you concentrate on your breathing or maybe a mantra. And when your thoughts drift, you come back to that. Whereas in a conversation, just acknowledge that your thoughts are going somewhere else and then return to focus. Just come back, just like you would with your breathing or your mantra and meditation. And anybody who started with meditation will tell you it's really hard in the beginning. It's a skill. Again, it's a skill. So you'll get better at it the more you do it. And that's another thing I tell people is just, you know, do it. (laughs) Just, you know, you'll fail all the time, but just keep these things in mind. Like, oops, I'm drifting again. Go back. And also don't be afraid to stop and ask a question. You feel like, oh God, okay, I'm lost. You know, get them to rewind. It's really okay. Just say, you know, I missed what you said a moment ago. Would you mind repeating that? Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to say I wasn't listening or I was thinking about getting milk later. Just, (laughs) you know, and don't be afraid if you get further on the conversation, you realize, okay, something I've missed that. Just say, oh, you know, I really want to. And the thing is, is it, it really enriches the relationship. Because the other person realizes that she or he really wants to know what I'm saying. And when you say, you know, I didn't quite get that. Now tell me that again. 
so that's another thing. But when we were talking about, you know, bad listening habits, but I think those are the major ones. And if you can start with those, I talk about a lot more in the book, Mm. but if you can start with those, I think that'd be really helpful. I think the meditation thing really resonates with me. I've not thought about it like that before because I think I've tried and failed a few times meditating, but that the brain goes away, but then sort of bringing it back. And I think that does sometimes happen in conversations, but maybe not sort of beating yourself up too much for that just recognizing it and then just coming back to the conversation and and hopefully the more that you do that the more sort of conscious of it you can become I was having a moment with Sarah today so Sarah and I were in a studio today filming and I had this sort of slightly surreal moment when I was sort of doing this thing with Sarah and then recalling something that was in your book it was a bit, a bit weird so <laughs> we were filming and you know cameras in front of us we are you know filming career sort of content for the companies that we work with and the way it works is you know Sarah will talk for a few minutes and then I'll talk and to keep that sort of dynamic going we kind of share the conversation and the camera um, so no one gets too bored of our voices but what it requires and I realized when I was doing it what it requires is really really good listening because I have Mm -hmm. to know like Sarah and I don't really script that like we know roughly what we're talking about and who's saying what but if Sarah forgets something and sort of needs me to pick it up I have to listen like really intently so that we don't have to stop the film and start all over again because that's really really frustrating when you're like you've done it a few times and I was thinking oh this is what Kate was saying when and because you mentioned and I'd love to share it with people listening because I think this is a brilliant team exercise and you talk about an improv exercise that people can do where they can sort of practice this listening ability. And I felt like to some extent that I was doing that with Sarah today, where I was really listening so that I was ready to pick it up, pick up that conversation at whatever point that she stopped it. And I wondered with that in mind, if you could just share that improv exercise you talk about in the book that can help sort of teams develop their listening skills and abilities. Are you talking about the storytelling yeah. one? Because I talk about a few of yeah, them. That okay, one. yeah, that, that's such a great one. How it works is that the person who's running the workshop, because I, I went to Second City in Chicago to their improv training, and what they do, it's called a storytelling exercise. And he happened to be a he in this instance. And what you do is he actually started out and just started it out with, you know, something like, I don't know, you know, a rabbit runs in the woods <laughs> and then points at somebody anybody that's it's not in order just points at somebody and they need to pick up the story from there and the next person will say a few things and then another person has to pick up the story and it has to make sense you have to you know you can't say you know after the, there was a rabbit in the woods you know say well and then I went to the grocery store yeah I mean you know it's just it, it has to have a narrative to it and you really have to be listening. And the thing that people do is they think ahead mm. and they think about how they want the story to turn out and they never know when they're gonna be called on. So, and when it gets to them, the person in front could have totally taken the story in another direction. And so you really have to listen to what the person said and also not be committed again to your own script of the clever thing that you had come up with to present to everybody. And that's what makes the best story is when everybody's paying attention and everybody's contributing, but building on what the person previously had said and not thinking ahead. And they're wonderful. (laughs) The stories you come up are wonderful and beautiful and fun. And you feel so connected to the other people. That's the other outcome is there's just this connection because everybody was so on each other's wavelength, just on bated breath of what the next person was going to say. 
think it's a really nice team activity, both to raise the point that listening is really important, that we can all get better at it. And then, you know, to learn as a team, I always think that's so important. But I have to say, okay, I sort of tried a variation of this with my children. And I'm not sure they're listening because I think they sort of basically want the end of every story to basically be poo. Um, I mean, they're eight and six. So poo poo <laughs> is like really, really funny for them. And it's like, any way I start a story just ends up and then they stood in poo. And I'm like, guys, come on, come on. Like, listen and be a bit more creative but you know they're eight and six that's an interesting story. <laughs> yeah yeah they definitely need a new script <laughs> they need to move on move on from that um and so just to close this out now hopefully people are listening and they're really into this and they think yes i want to go do something and you have shared loads of things you know those questions for people to reflect on and maybe just to spot and maybe stop some of those bad behaviors and the biases and you know some of the assumptions we might be making but i guess if you had one piece of advice for someone who's saying I see how important this is and I realise that this is something that I could focus on and improve. What would you recommend that somebody did like this week differently that you think could help improve their listening at work? Oh, gosh. I, hmm. You know, I think really it's just keep in mind that when you engage with someone, your behaviour, your listening, does two things. It helps or hinders your understanding. Two, it strengthens or weakens the relationship. So to be mindful when you go into the into a conversation that, you know, is how I am listening, responding, because responding is a big part of listening and the questions you ask, you know, are you helping or hindering your understanding? by the way I'm behaving in this conversation, and am I strengthening or weakening the relationship? I think those are two things, but actually I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, there's one more thing I wanna tell people, that also think about your opportunities to listen. We haven't talked about that. So often people are diminishing their opportunities to listen by keeping their head down, earbuds in, just whatever they're doing is preventing someone from telling them something. Mm. And you miss so much when you do always have your head in your phone or you always have something in your ears because then people don't feel like they can approach you. And so there are so many opportunities that you miss when you close yourself off like that and don't make eye contact and you know just keep your office door shut all the time. Not to say there totally are valid times and reasons to do that. But if you find yourself doing that all the time, try and think about what you might be missing. I really love that. It's like there's a practice of listening, which we've talked a lot about, but there's putting yourself in a position to listen, which is that point that you just raised there. And I think it's a really, like how much in your day are you putting yourself in a position to listen where people basically want to talk to you and feel comfortable talking to you? It's a really interesting, it's a different take on listening that I hadn't thought of before. It's a part of, you know, I'm from the American South and it's a part of hospitality. It's just being open to receive. Mm. And so part of it is just your demeanor, but also, again, you know, are you available? Are you making yourself available, whether it's your physical positioning or how you are carrying yourself or what you have in your ears or what you're looking at? You know, look up every once in a while, see who might want to talk to you. 
that is an amazing way to end like look up everyone once in a while and see who might want to talk to you i i that is like my quote on the podcast, Kate, the thing that's really, really going to stick with me. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk. And I hope that you feel that I've heard the things that you've got to say. And I'm absolutely sure that our listeners have taken so much away from this conversation. So huge appreciation for spending some time on Squiggly with us. You have nothing to worry about, Alan. <laughs> You're a wonderful listener. Well, I love talking. I feel like I've got a lot to reflect on personally as well. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for your interest. I really enjoyed talking to you. You've made me think about some things. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you found it interesting. I absolutely loved talking to Kate. I reflected a lot in the moment and there's definitely some things that I want to do differently as a result of our conversation, which I always feel like that's the power, right? You're listening enough that you learn and do something differently. So hopefully that happened for you as well. Sarah and I will be back together for another topic on the podcast next week. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Bye for now. Bye for now.